you, Brother Dale and Marilyn. Appreciate that. Um, as you uh, think about what we just have been singing, I want you to turn to Psalm 1, and I want you to think about last night. Okay? Did the thunder keep anybody awake last night? We were kind of watching it, and you could hear it coming in, and then when I look and I go, ah, that's east of us, then it's lights out, you know. Um, but I was thinking also about the song we sing, How Great Thou Art, I See the Stars, I Hear the Rolling Thunder. Yeah, Rolling Thunder. And uh, do we, when we hear that, especially around here and during these storm seasons and these many storm seasons, I heard a meteorologist say not too long ago, we always have these storms like this in the uh, last of October, 1st of November, and uh, we forget about that sometimes. This is fairly normal. Do you think about the power of God? Do you think about when you praise God and thank God, is it always just for the favorable things that He does, which you should do, which you should do? Um, it's okay to pull into a place and there's a parking lot and say thank you, a parking space and say thank you, Lord, for providing this for me. There's nothing wrong with that when things go your way. But the Bible says in everything, give thanks. Do you also stop and think, uh, thank God and think about His power, His sovereignty, and His praises when storms are coming or when things don't go your way? And the reason I say that is we're going to read some verses tonight out of Psalm 1 that describe the way the ungodly are. And I see sometimes some ungodly characteristics in my life. I'm not all the way there yet. I'm being sanctified. You're being sanctified. And so the Lord puts these things in here to show us some things about ourselves. We don't want to be living an ungodly life and we want those things to be changed. But then again, let's also think about what we talked about Sunday night. What do you really think about lost people? Are they in your way? Are they aggravating to you? Wouldn't the world be better off if we just didn't have any lost people? Well, that would have wiped out the world's population a long time ago, wouldn't it? Someone asked me one time, why doesn't God just deal with evil right away? Why does he let it go on? And I said, well, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't purport to know the whole mind of God in it. But I can tell you a very practical thing. My family and my family roots are very, very, very ungodly on both sides. That if God judged everybody immediately on that, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. So there's a practical thing. God doesn't do that because apparently I need to be here. And uh, he was going to do a great work by redeeming people like me out of my family. And so that's a, that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. And we, we wonder sometimes about God and his ways. And we forget that they're mysterious. And we forget that we don't always comprehend them. And we forget that Deuteronomy 29, 29 does say the secret things belong to the Lord. But the rest of that verse tells us about what he reveals. And we can only go by what he reveals to us. Nothing else really matters. We can speculate and we can talk about it and, and we can um, you know, guess you know, about those things. But it's pretty much a fruitless and worthless discussion. And yet God has given us some things that we know and things that we can camp on and things that we can praise Him for. 
And as I was thinking about reading through this psalm and identifying with some of these things, not all of them, but some of these things I, I still can kind of see in my life. And then the thought hit me, what must it be like when you have no Holy Spirit to control you or to convict you or to, or to, to correct you? What must it be like if you were living your life without any standard for truth? Have you ever tried to measure something just by guessing? Um, buying kids' clothes for Christmas, dads especially. Have you ever thought, oh, hey, that, that looks like that thing that my daughter wanted. I think I'll get it. Oh, what size? What size? And remember back before cell phones, we couldn't call and ask our wives what size. We would look and say, that looks like that would fit. Have you ever done that? And you take it home, and nine times out of ten, what happens? Wrong size. Now, it looked like the right size. It looked like the right size. But when you got home and you go, good night, man. She's grown a lot taller than I thought. I didn't realize that kind of thing. That's what happens. And when you try to tell somebody uh, a measurement, you know, you're getting new blinds, you're doing it over the phone. Yeah, I think they're about a, oh, I don't know, maybe a four foot by three feet or something like that. Probably not going to work out so well. You need to use a tape measure. You need a yardstick or something like that. And that's what the Bible is for us. Can you imagine a lost person that they are just trying to do the best they can and make their best attempt and guess at treating other people right. And they don't really have anything that they accept as an objective standard for how a husband ought to treat a wife. They're just shooting in the dark, trying to do the best they can, watching other people and hoping these other people get it right. You think about trying to figure out what a moral life is. Now... <clears throat> Back when Christianity was stronger in our nation and when our leaders ascribed to things like the Ten Commandments and they actually taught those things in school <clears throat> in the early days of our country, they would have a, an alphabet for first graders and A was for Adam who sinned. So the way they would teach it. Not for Apple, but for Adam who sinned. And it would go all the way down. And it was like learning the alphabet was a mini theology. Okay, maybe then lost people had some kind of an influence in their lives. It kind of gave them a basic idea. They may not hit the bullseye, but at least they knew kind of where the target was, right? Well, we're living in a culture now where we don't really know what the target is much less the bullseye. And we don't know what the standard is because we don't have anything. Everybody is guessing about morality and right or wrong. And that's why you have uh, people saying about the killing of babies in their wombs, some pe in their mother's wombs, the safest place that they ought to be. And some people are saying, well, yeah, but they're just a, you know, a little glob of tissue, right? And other people are saying, no, that is a baby. It's undeniably human. Okay? Well, who's right? Who, who's right? Because if the just a glob of tissue people are right, then aborting a baby is really no different than removing a cancerous tumor, right? 
But if the other people are right, then it's murder. So where do we stand on all that kind of stuff? And we can't just go by our gut, can we? We've got to have something that tells us what is good or bad, right or wrong, evil or clean, or you know all of that. And think about living life where you don't really know. Think about all of the people who believe, and Muslims believe this too. It's kind of sad when you think about it. But I've, I've run into a lot of people who claim to be Christians. One guy I talked to one time, he was a Lutheran. And he said the same thing that a Muslim says about this. Do you know for sure if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? And his answer was, I guess I'll find out when I get there. And he believed that he couldn't really know until God either let him in or didn't. And if you are talking to a Muslim, you uh, know what they believe about that? They believe that they'll get to heaven and Allah will put everything on a big scale. And he's merciful. And uh, so you hope that your good deeds outweigh your bad. I think that's what the average church-going American believes as well. In fact, a recent uh, uh, survey and research done by the Pew Institute says that about 70% of evangelicals, these are the ones who claim to be born again, do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, then they're not evangelical. Whatever they call themselves, they're not. And uh, that means that, you know, anyway, find the way that's good for you. I heard, I was listening to somebody today, they were talking about something. They said, well, my truth, my truth is, do you realize how dumb that is? There is no my truth, it's either truth or it's not truth. And I heard somebody else say something that I think is probably right. They said, even conservatives will talk about, well, this biological male, he goes, We've never called anybody a biological male before. But now because of this woke culture and the transgender stuff, we have to join in and make sure that we're clear. He said, maybe we ought to just rebel against that, refuse to say it, say God made two genders, male and female, and that's it. And we're not going to call it by anything else. right? He may be right. Because we kind of bend a little bit. We kind of feel like we have to explain ourselves and all of that. But then when you go by what the Word of God says, there's no need to do that. You're either with God or against God. You're right or you're wrong. And you think about what it's like to live in this kind of a world. And when you think about how much the world has changed, I mean... For those of us who are older, we can say, Oh, back in my day, we wouldn't do that. I, you don't have to do that anymore. don't have to do that. My dad would talk about Harry Truman would never put up with this. And I'm like, Harry Truman? I don't even know who that is. Uh, we don't have to do that anymore. Okay? Five years ago, our culture was much different than it is now. Isn't that right? This stuff has come fast and furious upon us, and we've got a world that is so confused, so confused. You find some people out there that are very similar to us, but it may not be because they love God, they're just traditionalists. A lot of people like that. You find some people that are just as far away as you could possibly get from what we believe, and it's because they are so rebellious 
They are rebelling against society, against culture, against tradition, uh, religion, everything that they can. And I mean, they're way, way over on the scale. And those two people are still in the same camp. They're lost without Jesus Christ. And one, their guess was a little closer, but you know the old saying that almost is only good in horseshoes, hand grenades, and atom bombs, right? And it doesn't work for anything in life. And as I got to thinking about that, then I was thinking about how the suicide rate is going up. In fact, uh, I heard someone say just recently that among college students. Now, when I was in college, graduating from high school, that was one of the most optimistic times of my life. Okay, you're out from under your parents, you're here on campus, you're making friends, you can come and go as you please, you're learning things that are going to make you millions of dollars, and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's optimistic. But right now, college students, suicide, the suicide rate is going through the roof. It's the highest in history, someone said. Well, I don't know if all the research is right on that, but it must be enough to make me think, what is going on? And I think we're living in a culture that everybody says, if only I could be a woman instead of a man, I would be happy. You know what happens? They find out that whether they wear a dress or whether they wear pants, they take their problems with them, right? Sometimes they may even get worse. And we find people that say, well, if I just had money and they chase the almighty dollar and come to the end of their life thinking that if they can have millions of dollars and leave millions of dollars behind and that's what it really is all about and people will remember me, they will appreciate me and I'll be significant in their eyes. Uh, gee, I wonder how many people have thought about John Rockefeller lately. Probably nobody. How many people have thought about uh, Joe Kennedy, probably nobody. It doesn't take long for you to be forgotten. And every generation just kind of thinks, well, I inherited all of this, but look what I've done with it. I'm the significant one. And then they pass away into insignificance. We're told that within every human being from the time they are born, that they're, they are on, the, on a search for security, they want to be safe, they want to feel safe, and significance. They want to matter, they want to matter. And they say that even a little baby, when they're crying in the crib, that what is happening is they're being fed information. Did anybody come when I cried? Did anybody take care of me when I was cold? Did they feed me when I was hungry? Did they change me when I was dirty? Did they cuddle me when I just wanted to be loved? That makes you feel secure. And it also makes you feel significant. I am significant enough that when I cry out, my mama comes and she is there with me. And they say that we live all of our lives looking for those two things. Well, what must it be like to be lost and not be able to find any one of those things because actually you believe you're just a highly evolved mutation of bacteria and cells and other things like that. And when you die, it's just all over and, uh, you know, you just decay and that's it. That's a pretty sad way to live, isn't it? And then when you get mistreated by people, when you're betrayed, when you're overlooked, when you're lonely, 
I mean, think about all of the things that we could describe about the human condition. What does that do to our mind that says, I want to be secure and I want to be significant? I mean, it just throws it out the window. And so you have people that feel useless. You have people that feel like they are meaningless, that they have no purpose, that there's nothing in life that really fulfills them. And so they try things and they go places and they do things and they follow the culture that says hey hey over here if you'll do this then that's where it really is and uh, my prediction is that as the woke culture goes on and uh, all of the stuff that goes with it we're going to see more anarchy in our nation and we're going to see more depression and we're going to see more suicides and we're going to see perversion getting worse because this didn't fulfill me so I'm going to have to go a little bit further with it and uh, go into things that uh, who knows what the next five years will bring. We just have no idea who knows what the next 20 years will bring. All of those kind of things. And, and it's kind of bothersome. And so um, I was thinking about what to entitle this message. And uh, I went ahead and put it like this. Sad lives in a fallen world. Sad lives in a fallen world. Because when we look out there at the people around us, those people we should be witnessing to, those people we should be praying for, we ought to realize that in spite of their laughter, the book of Ecclesiastes says, the laughter of fools is like the crackling of thorns under a pot. In other words, if you use dried thorns to get your fire going to boil water, that's what the laughter of fools is like. That's what this world is. That's all they've got all they've got and when they appear to be happy and they appear to have joy it's very 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 circumstantial it's based on who they're around it's based on who's entertaining them and what's happening and is it to their liking and we know that life is hard even for Christian people and non-Christian people alive we're living in a world that is under a curse and we suffer under those kind of things and uh, life is tough and life is hard and you can't just laugh your way through it. And that's why the Bible makes a distinction between the joy of the Lord that would include happiness. The Lord does give us a great deal of happiness. But it's not dependent simply upon circumstances. But for the world, that's all they've got and that's all that they get. I also thought about this title, What It's Like to Be Lost. As we get down to Psalm chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And then I thought maybe I could be really, really uh, cool and up to date and say sad lives matter. And we forget that sometimes. We overlook lost people as though they're irrelevant. As though they don't have a soul. As though they don't really matter because they're made in the image of God. Yeah, but it's kind of a broken, marred image and... You know, I'll just get with my Christian friends and go on. And I think we ought to care a little bit more about it. And I would just like to ask you to remember what your life was like and what you were like before you were born again. And for some of you, you've been saved so long you can't really remember. Some of you were saved at a young age. And it's kind of hard when you're saved at a young age to really feel the full effects of your depravity. So uh, let's look at it in Psalm 1 verse 4. After he said all of those things we looked at last week, it says the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, the husks of the wheat, 
which the wind drives away. Therefore, or because of this, we could translate that, because of this, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. There's, they, they have no defense. They have no case. They're not going to get the hearing that they think they deserve. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They're not going to be with us when we are in the final state in heaven. No sinners will be there. Verse 6. For the Lord knows, has intimate knowledge, we might say, of the way, the lifestyle of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, when I look at that, it makes me think about these various phrases that the psalmist use here that we'll examine tonight. First of all, in verse 4, it says, The ungodly are not so. Okay? That's all we need to know to make this statement. They have no stability in their lives. They are everything we are not. They're everything that the blessed man is not in the first verses of uh, Psalm 1. There's no stability. Think about it. What, are, uh, what is the blessed man described as? The tree. His leaves don't wither because he's getting plenty of water because he's planted by the streams. And uh, he's rooted and grounded so that the winds don't blow him over. His leaves don't wither and he bears fruit in its season. And so the psalmist says that that's the blessed man, but the ungodly, the godless people are not so. They're everything that the blessed man is not. They're not blessed um, with the same uh, way and intensity as the godly are. Now, they do receive blessings. The sun is going to rise on them. They're going to get rain like we do, and they're going to have times when they can love and laugh, and that's just the grace of God and the blessings of God. But not, that's not like our blessings. Our blessings are so deep and so rich, and they're eternal. We have been blessed by the Father to be brought into the family of God in relationship with God the Father and to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and to have the precious Word of God as a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. All of those things that they don't have. And so they are unstable. They're like the chaff that uh, is blown away. And you notice here that what the Bible says the blessed man doesn't do, this is what the wicked man does. They follow the advice of the ungodly. And it changes every day and every week. There are some people that were so liberal and cool and socially active and social justice now, and now they're not woke enough. There are some of those people that when they tear down statues of Washington and Jefferson and all of those, they're also going after Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. Who would have thought that? They had to quote Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, they had to change the pronouns that she used to make them up to date. Apparently Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not woke enough for them. I mean, it's only going to get worse if God doesn't intervene. And it's getting so that even the ungodly can't tell what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to dress, how they're supposed to act, how they're supposed to talk. I mean, we don't even know what pronouns to use when we talk to people unless they tell us what their pronouns are. It's kind of sad. It's very silly. It's unsustainable. 
But it's also very, very, very sad when you think about this. Who knows what's right? Who knows what's wrong? Who knows what to do? And so they are getting advice from the ungodly. They're standing in the way of sinners. They will run to be cool. They will run to be accepted. They will change everything. They've, I mean, all you have to do is listen to uh, people like Bill Clinton and Al Gore and some of these, Hillary Clinton even, who just 10 years ago, or maybe a little bit longer, they were opposed to changing the definition of marriage. But then when everything started changing, they had to run into that and abandon every place that they were before. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. People that used to be pro-life are now pro-abortion. They've got to run with their party. They've got to run with the culture. They've got to run with all of this. People that uh, before were uh, against the transgender type thing, now they're running toward it. And you've got to be careful about that too because you may have kids or grandkids who embrace some of that kind of stuff. What are you going to do? Run to it just because you don't want them to feel bad or are you going to stand your ground? That's got to be a hard place to be. God bless you in that. And um, we've got to stand with the Word of God. We don't have to be mean. And by the way, learn the difference between accepting someone and approving of someone. You can accept them as a person and as a member of your family without approving of what they do. But it doesn't mean you have to kick them every time you walk by them or refuse to talk to them or anything like that. They need Jesus and they need the gospel. And uh, you've got to pray for them and you've got to love them. But you can never come to the point of approving of what they are doing. And that's the way we are with the world. We will accept them as fellow human beings but we cannot approve of who they are and what they say. And so that's why we share the gospel with them. And that's why we want to build relationships with them and be able to tell them about the grace of God and uh, see them to be born again. We can't just hide and hibernate and isolate ourselves from the world. That's not what we're told to do in the scripture. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, in other words. And so uh, the, the ungodly there, they're standing in the way of the sinners and they ran to get there because that's the only way you can fit in. They're scared to death of being canceled, as we might say now. And then they sit among the mockers. They just finally sit down and they're making fun of everything they used to believe and everything their parents believe and everything their grandparents believed and, and mocking all of the values that they may have been raised with. That's just... The way that it all goes. And they're not fruitful. And their tree is not this unwithering tree. You see them go back and forth. In fact it says they're like the chaff. The husks of the wheat that are blown away. And if childish Christians are unstable. Can you imagine how much more lost people are unstable? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes notice all of the synonyms there for being tricked and that's the way the world lives well Paul is concerned about genuine believers growing up so they won't be just blown around by all of the junk anymore well if baby Christians can be blown around like that can you imagine how it is for the chaff 
for it is for the ungodly who just are in the wind and they have no stability whatsoever. In fact, they're like Isaiah chapter 5, 20 through 23. Listen as I read this. And can you tell me anything in this that does not describe the world in which we live? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking. It's five o'clock somewhere, right? Heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who equip the guilty for a bribe Sounds like our government, doesn't it? And deprive the innocent of his right. And there's no one more innocent than a baby in the womb. Right? President Reagan said, I've noticed that everybody that is for abortion has already been born. That's insightful, isn't it? That's insightful. But we will deny the unborn babies of their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness... But we sure want it for ourselves. And in our culture, if anybody gets in our way of being and doing what we want to do, well, woe unto them. Well, the Bible says something different. And this is the culture we live in. We're just blowing in the wind, as Bob Dylan said. And that's more true than maybe he even understands. Like the chaff blowing here and there. One day we're cool, the next day we're a square. One day we're up to date, the next day we're just yesterday's news. And that's the way it always is. Now when you're young, you don't think that's going to happen. I'm always going to be cool, I'm always going to be hip and all of that. Well, you know, it doesn't work that way. Everything changes, and that's the way of the ungodly. And that ought to make us look around at people who are lost and be sad for them. That's not something to gloat over. That's something to be sad about. Number two. Notice here that uh, those who are the ungodly, they have no purpose. Now they think they do. And they will substitute it. But the Bible says it's different. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. This is a picture of harvest. In Palestine in those days, they would go to a high flat place, maybe a big flat rock, and they would pour the grain on the rock. And if they had a... Uh, 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 things set up for it they, they might use animal power to do this or they might just take it and they would have the whole family together and just beat on the wheat just beat on it that rhymed didn't it beat on the wheat and then when they've finished they would take it and the thing like a rake and throw it up in the air as high as they could and the wind would catch the husks and the stalk that was in there and blow it away and the good wheat that would be ground for flour would fall to the ground you know what the Bible says this world is like? Well, the, uh, the Apostle John tells us this world is passing away. You know what the psalmist here tells us? It's like the chaff, blown away. Life is a vapor, isn't it? Life is a vapor. And that context of life being a vapor that the Apostle wrote about is in the context of the will of God. Your life means something. You are significant because you're a child of God. You are honoring God and you are glorifying God and you're going to be rewarded by God. 
But for all of the people who do not take into account the will of God, their life is just, it's a vapor that's here and gone. It's chaff, blown away. It's something that is meaningless and purposeless. Right? Is that a good word? And that's what he describes here. People that are striving for all of this, wanting to matter, wanting to be a leader, wanting to possess things, only to find out that through an accident, their life is snuffed out and they die, we say, before their time. Through an assassination, through a stray bullet. Who expects to get killed on a movie set? Expect to go home that day. The other day over here at 104th and Penn, there was somebody that was uh, a teenager that was, you know, being chased by the police, and the police backed off because it was getting dangerous. They run the red light over here, hit somebody, and that person, I believe, 36-year-old person, dies in that. Who expected that? We don't expect 36-year-olds. Nobody, nobody tells people that are 36, now you be careful out there. Occasionally we might. But we don't ex really expect anything bad to happen. They're young. They've got their whole life ahead of them. Hey, young people die too, don't they? It's not just the old. Look through the obituaries and look at the ages of the people and look at their situation. It's not always just old people that die. It's not poor people that die. It's not rich people that die. It's not always the ungodly that die, and yet it does happen to them. Life can be taken in an instant, but even if they live to be 110, they die in futility, they die in their sins, and their whole life vanishes. There's nothing really left of it. It's all going to burn up and blow away like the chaff, and they will be soon forgotten. Soon forgotten. That's a sad thing to think about. They're empty, void, futile, unsubstantial, shallow, worthless. And uh, in the end, it's a life that is just burned up. Nothing but ashes. I don't know about you. That makes me sad. That makes me sad. Because they work hard. And some of them really do want to do something good. And they want to amount to something. But the Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. Until you come in to know Christ and you do it in His strength and power and through His glory. But they can't do that in the state that they're in. That ought to make us sad. Number three, they have no hope of heaven. No hope of heaven. It says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Where are the righteous going to congregate at the end times? In heaven, around the Lord and around His throne. They're not going to be there. They're not going to be there. And when you look at somebody who just aggravates the fool out of you and you realize that they're not saved, just calm down, count to four, cool your jets, think just a little bit about this. If life turns sour for you like it did for Job from this time until you die, at least you've got one hope. God is with you and it's only going to get better from here. What do they have? What do they have? And that ought to be something that makes us sad because sad lives matter too. And we ought to be thinking about them. Matthew chapter 7 verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That should never make us smile. 
That should never make our hearts just soar. Oh, I'll be glad when all of them get what's coming to them. Grace should change us to pray for them, to think about them, to be kind to them. And don't forget this one. We've been talking about this, to witness to them because the gospel is the only hope that they have. And we carry that treasure around with us in these earthen vessels. And we were where they were at one time. And God brought us out of that. And God can do the same for them. And that ought to matter to us. All of their evil deeds are going to be exposed. Revelation 20 verse 14. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, big shots and unknowns, in other words, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And all whose names were not written in the book of life were also thrown into the lake of fire. Does that make you happy? Does that make you smile? Does that make you look forward to that day? Or do you see men, women, boys, and girls who are without Christ? Do you see them as people that are headed for destruction? Boy, it makes me sad to think about somebody whose life is so hard that they don't want to live anymore. It makes me sad to think about somebody who is in so much pain that they don't want to live anymore. It makes me sad to think of somebody whose life has become so disappointing and so futile that they don't want to live anymore. And they take their own life because somebody told them one time that when you die, it's all over. And they wake up expecting peace and yet their first conscious thought after they put the bullet into their brain or after they inject themselves or slit their wrist or whatever they may do, and they're like the rich man in hell in Luke 16. I don't understand why Christians on Facebook see the death of a lost celebrity and say, rest in peace. You don't understand if you're doing that. There is no peace for them. There is no peace. And think about their eternity. And we probably ought to think more about their eternal situation before they die. Right? Before they die, instead of after they die. The saddest funerals I've ever conducted. I was in Tuttle and I was asked to do a funeral. And the funeral director called me and I said, hey, are they there? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'll be up there in a minute. And he goes, nope, I'm sending them to you. It's like, well, that's my first clue. This is not a good situation. And they came into my office and it was a broken home and... There were people standing on this side and people standing on this side and obvious ill will toward one another. 
except this one person that was my age. I think uh, it's about 32 or 33. This guy was my age. He was killed in a bar fight in Tulsa, and nobody even knew he was gone for four days. He was kind of estranged from his family. And the family blamed each side for, you're the reason, no, you're the reason, no, you're the reason, no, you're the reason, that kind of stuff. That's what I had to deal with. And you know what? For me, all I could think of is, what do I say about a guy who's in hell? And I just preached the gospel and tried to love those people and plant some seeds because I couldn't change his destiny. It wouldn't do any good for them if I got up and preached a hellfire and brimstone message about where he is. But I could tell them good news. I could preach the gospel to them. And that is a hard, hard thing to think about. What do I do? And when you read the obituary, he loved flowers. Is that the best you can say? He was funny. He loved a good drink. Is that the best you can say? (sighs) Chaff blowing away in the wind, isn't it? And we look at all of this and find that when they stand before the Lord, they're going to try to say, I was a good person. Look at all of the money that I gave. Look at the mission that I worked at. Look at the things that I did for people who were down and out. And then they're going to be exposed that you did that for yourself. You did that for man's applause. You did that because it gave you a nice, fuzzy, warm feeling in your stomach. You didn't do it for them. You did it for yourself. And then the Lamb's book of life is going to be opened. And their names are not going to be found in it. And everything's going to be exposed. And they're going to be excluded. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life... He was thrown into the lake of fire. What is the book of life? The book of life is those who have received the life of Christ by grace through faith based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, right? And these people have trusted in something other than Christ themselves, their religion, their good works, their charitable deeds, just being a good neighbor, paying their taxes, being a nice guy, all of those kind of things. You know, we hear people say sometimes, well, I know they're not really a Christian, but they're sincere in what they believe. It's called sincerely wrong. Sincerely wrong. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through grace and faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? And then lastly, it says there's no mercy, no love, and no relationship. The Lord knows, and that means intimate knowledge, the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly, it what? Perishes. It's gone. It's gone. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of the Lord stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, I can tell you all I want that I know somebody famous. And you don't have any idea whether I'm telling the truth or not until that famous person comes and they say, I know Greg Keenan. Now all of a sudden we're, we're there. 
And there are a lot of people who claim, I know God and I have a relationship and this is just between me and Jesus. You have no right to judge me. You ever been told anything like that? Me and Jesus got a good thing going on. Well, that's not the standard. The standard is not do you know Jesus, but does Jesus know you? The Lord knows those who are His. It's different for the ungodly. In Psalm 37, 23, it says, The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, and He delights in His way. Can't say that about the unrighteous, can you? They're just blown around by the wind like the chaff, like the husks of the wheat, just blowing here and there, and you never know where they're going to fall. You never know where they're going to show up. You never know where they're going to be. Not so for us. Not so for us. And everything that God has done for us and everything in our lives that we know, it's the opposite for the ungodly. And in fact, it says the way of the godly shall perish. That is eternal destruction in that lake of fire that we read about. This is not pleasant. And I didn't intend for it to be pleasant. I intended for it to be motivating. To motivate you, number one, to give thanks that you're not one of them. Somebody say amen to that. Because you didn't do that, and you don't get credit for that. That is all by the glory of God. And number two, that it might change our minds when we get out among them, that they don't annoy us like they used to, that they don't make us mad like they used to, that we don't ignore them, that we don't mistreat them, that it won't just say, oh, if I could just get away from all of these sinners and get back into my little bubble of life. No, 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 we're supposed to be out there, and we're supposed to engage them. Why? Because all of these things are true of them, and that should make us sad. That should make us think about where they are and the hopelessness. That song says that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. You know what happened the moment I trusted in the blood of Christ? I no longer was a part of a helpless estate. I had hope. In Christ, and I'm a part of his kingdom and his family. But now I look around me at this world that is hopeless and helpless in everything that they do, and they think they matter so much how deceived they are. They have the audacity to look down on you, and you're a child of the king headed for heaven. And the truth of the matter is, we should be like Jesus, looking on compassion with them. Jesus looked upon the multitudes, the Bible says, with compassion, for he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, chaff blowing around in the wind, headed for destruction. Man, that's terrible. The way of the ungodly shall perish. Well, let's end on this. Say it with me. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not, here's the word, perish, perish. You've got a future and you've got a hope. They don't. God has given you the treasure of the gospel. They don't have it. God has given you His Holy Spirit going with you everywhere you go and the power to share with them. They don't know anything about that. They're spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And you have the opportunity to leave this place 
and to go maybe to a job you hate and you're not really all that fulfilled with and the salary isn't all that great. Oh, 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 look beyond all of that. God has given you a treasure to be able at that job to plant seeds and to water seeds. You may have a life to where you go, I'm not famous, I'm not in the NBA or the NFL, I don't play in the World Series, I never have, I never will, nobody's going to ever really know my name. Well, God does, because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world. And He has deposited in you the life-giving gospel that could change somebody's life. And nobody may ever make a statue of you and put it at a football stadium or anything like that. But there may be somebody that comes up to you in heaven with tears in their eyes and they hug you and they say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing the good news of Christ with me. We used to hear old-time preachers talk about, you're saved, you're going to go to heaven, but will you go empty-handed? And that's something to think about. I don't want to go empty-handed. I want to meet some people around the throne. And I want to be able to rejoice with them that I'm there and that they are there. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said, When I get to heaven, three things. Number one, I'll be amazed that I'm there. Number two, I'll be, or excuse me, I'll be amazed at who's there. It's going to be some shocks about some people who God saved. Number two, I'm going to be amazed by who's not there. And number three, the greatest amazement of all is that I'm there. And when we go to heaven for the glory of God, let's take somebody with us through the witness of the gospel and let's look at this world not like, I wish I could be like them, but to go, how tragic and how sad. For them, because sad lives matter. At least they should to people like us. Okay? Could we bow our heads and close our eyes? Lord, forgive us when we look at the world and we're completely indifferent. We don't even pay attention. We just can't wait to get to our next Bible study. We can't wait to get to our home or to our church or to our Christian bookstore or to our whatever it might be, so that we can get out of the way of those nasty, filthy sinners without realizing that's where you found us. And when we look at them and they annoy us, forgive us when we expect lost people to act like saved people because they don't and they can't and they aren't. And forgive us, Father, when we get angry at them Forgive us when we kind of act like they're in the way. They're messing up our life. They're messing up our culture. When we've been told in the latter days perilous times will come. This world is under a curse. And we and our families live in a cursed world. Forgive us, Lord. And help us to look and to see potential of you working powerfully in their lives as the only hope that they have, and you're the only hope we have as well. Forgive us, Lord, when we can be so quick to talk about all of the things in life that don't really matter and fail to talk about Jesus, to fail to talk about grace, to fail to talk about the cross, to fail to warn them about hell. And Lord, those times when maybe we're envious of them, they seem to be doing so well and they seem to have so much. Forgive us. 
We have the riches in Christ Jesus and more to come because the Bible says when we think about heaven, the half has not been told. And I pray we wouldn't want to go before you empty-handed, but we would bring souls with us, people that we've witnessed to, people that we prayed for, people that we've given tracts to, people that we've discipled. Please, Lord, grant it that we might have a fruitful harvest. And as we think about all of this, we think about people in our church fellowship who are sick. And Lord, we know that their sickness is not without purpose. Help them to be a witness. Help them to have compassion and ministry to other sick people. Pray for people who are struggling in their family. And we want to pray that you would help them. Pray that you would give them stability and keep their testimony strong. And bring their spouse or bring their children or their grandchildren to faith in Christ. I pray for those who are struggling with the deep, dark, terrible issues of life. Because in their family, they have somebody who is a homosexual or a transgender or something like that. Lord, we need to know how to handle those kind of things because they're going to come and they're going to get worse. It's been far too easy for us just to condemn and separate and do all of that when we're going to have to do better than that, especially if it's in our own family. But we don't know how, and we're going to ask you to help us with that. We're going to ask you to help us as we look at politicians and we act like it's something new that politicians would lie, that they would be self-serving, that they would be corrupt. That's been going on since the beginning of time. I pray that we'd remember we're called upon to pray for them and to pray for their salvation. And we're called upon to be good citizens. And we're called upon to give honor to whom honor is due. And in fact, Peter said to honor all men as well as honoring the king. Lord, I pray that we would be in constant prayer for one another because we're all under attack all the time. May we be used to help other people stand instead of tear them down and trip them up. And I pray, Lord, that in our church especially, but even in the church at large, we wouldn't be hitting people with friendly fire. Father, may we stand, serve our King, rally around the banner of the cross, have mercy and compassion upon the poor and upon the suffering. And may we minister in the name of Jesus even to give a cup of cold water. And may we stand with our armor on and march at your direction and bear your name before a lost and dying sad world. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.